What up, Anchor? What up, Anchor FM? What up, Anchor listeners? Dre Wise, my name, Dre Wise Countywer. And today is Friday. Friday, Friday, Friday. And the date is the 11th, October 11th, 2019. And today, Friday, the weekend, the weekend, the weekend. I want to have a open discussion topic about a uh, particular uh, Christianity uh, religion that is different from any other Christianity group, and that is the Jehovah Witness. So I want to add my thoughts on it because I came from this religion, uh, the Jehovah Witness religion cult. It's a cult. You know, um, I have people that will explain this to you of this religion. Where it come from, who designed it, what's the sole purpose of um, But today, I want to broadcast and share the sports of, you know, because it's basketball. And the NBA started at the preseason. And uh, I think it was yesterday or four days ago, you know, like to uh, share my analyst news of the highlights of the score. <clears throat> now, we have Brooklyn Nets. Brooklyn Nets. New York. New York. And we have the LA Lakers. My favorite team all time. I am a Lakers fan. Now, Brooklyn defeated LA by three points, and Brooklyn um, Nets. Brooklyn had one 114, 114 score, and LA had 111. Defeated the LA Lakers. Well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Now, New York Knicks uh, played uh, Washington. And they defeated uh, Washington uh, by, you know, some points, you know, up ahead, three or four points, whatever. Um, New York won 104, and Washington had uh, 99. Now, Orlando Magic, Orlando Magic, you know what I'm saying? Magic, Magic. That's why I first looked at Shaquille O'Neal when I was a kid when he came to lead a playing with Pity Hardaway. And the Orlando Magic uh, defeated the Atlanta Hawks. Orlando had 97. And on the scoreboard on, uh, let's see, the Atlanta Hawks was 88. So Orlando Magic defeated the Atlanta Hawks. And we have the Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics. Boston. You know what I'm saying? Boston, another dynasty team that I like. Boston, Boston, Boston. And they played against the Hornets. I believe that's um, I believe that's Charlotte, I believe. Yeah. So uh, Boston um, scoreboard was uh, 103. And the Hornets defeated um, Boston. Um, and their scoreboard was 105. 105. Ooh, 
too. That's very close. Very close. Very close. But it's just it's just a preseason. It doesn't matter. By next month to December, the regular season will start in the NBA. So, you guys, Anchor FM, Anchor listeners, Anchor listeners, I am Dre Wise. Dre Wise Calcul. And here for straight to episodes of the commercial. What up, Anchor? What up, Anchor listeners? What up, Anchor FM? Follow me on my Facebook account page, DreWise Counselor. Follow me on Instagram, ReaperWise. Follow me on Twitter, Reaper underscore Wise. And also follow me on and subscribe and view my YouTube channel. Subscribe and view like and post a comment on me demonstrating of a role of the angel of death the green reaper named Abedin. reaper wise also hope to hear from you really 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 soon dre wise dre wise counselor Hello there, I'm Lloyd Evans and you're watching the John Cedars channel from The Bunker. And in this video, I want to go through 10 things that most Jehovah's Witnesses don't know about their own religion. Now, before we begin, I want to make this a fairly brief video. And for that reason, I'm not going to go into a laborious discussion for each point. I am, however, going to reference various videos uh, while I'm talking that go into each issue in more detail, and I will also try to provide some links in the description in case you're watching this as a Jehovah's Witness, and I say something that you have never heard of and you just assume that I'm lying, rather than make that assumption, I would urge you to either check out the video that I'm referencing or check out the link in the description and see for yourself whether I'm telling the truth. I should also just add that this is far from an exhaustive list. There are lots of things that Jehovah's Witnesses don't know about their own religion because they aren't encouraged to think critically about their beliefs. They are just told to believe unquestioningly in everything that they're told and not scrutinize their religion. Only other religions are to be scrutinized, not God's one true religion, which Jehovah's Witnesses consider their religion to be. Anyway, with all those disclaimers out of the way, it's time to address number one, and these are, by the way, not in any particular order. Number one on my list is a loophole in the Shepherd book regarding sin. Now, this is something that I would imagine the majority of witnesses don't know about. Even lots of ex-witnesses don't know about it. But if you look in the guidebook that elders use, this is a, a copy of it, a hard copy. Shepherd the flock of God. There is um, a paragraph in chapter 8. Chapter 8.25 and this is talking about situations that require a review of an appointed brother's qualifications. And point 25 
addresses the situation of an elder who has committed a disfellowshipping offence years in the past and the matter was never addressed. In other words, he kept quiet about it. So the body of elders may determine he can continue to serve if the following is true. The immorality or other serious wrongdoing occurred more than a few years ago and he is genuinely repentant, recognising that he should have come forward immediately when he sinned. Perhaps he has even confessed to his sin, seeking help with his guilty conscience. He has been serving faithfully for many years, has evidence of God's blessing, and has the respect of the congregation. So... (laughs) An elder who has been serving faithfully for many years has the respect of the congregation and all that time has been keeping quiet about a serious sin for which he could have been disfellowshipped can be let off the hook under certain circumstances. So it pays apparently to keep quiet and of course the absolute hypocrisy here is that such an elder would then be called upon to sit on judicial committees against people whose wrongdoing or perceived sin is being addressed immediately or very soon after it was committed. Now, perhaps realising that this created a ridiculous disparity between the way elders' sins are addressed and the way everyone else's sins are addressed, There is a similar provision in chapter 12, which is dealing with determining whether a judicial committee should be formed. And this is headed serious wrongdoing that occurred years in the past. This is dealing with basically everyone else who isn't an elder. And under point 57, it says, depending upon the circumstances, serious wrongdoing that occurred years in the past may need to be handled by a judicial committee. However, if wrongdoing occurred more than a few years ago and the individual is genuinely repentant and recognises that he should have come forward immediately when he sinned, counsel by two elders may be sufficient. So this is basically saying... If you do something that you know is wrong, that you know is considered sinful according to the many, many rules that can be found in this book, if you will only keep quiet about what you've done, if you'll only keep it to yourself or cover up what you've done, as long as more than a few years go by, then in all likelihood, you'll never have to answer for what you've done. But the annoying thing is that witnesses aren't told this. So this is a secret provision in a secret book that only elders have access to. So you'll understand why I've included it in my list of things that Jehovah's Witnesses don't know about their own religion Because chances are, if you speak to a Jehovah's Witness, or if you are a Jehovah's Witness, it's unlikely that witnesses know, because they don't have access to this book, and 
in fact, they'll feel very guilty for even downloading this book, which you can do, uh, by the way. How are they supposed to know that if they only keep quiet about their sins, then conceivably, and this is, by the way, not necessarily uh, going to happen in every instance. It's conceivable that an elder or a body of elders might not apply this provision. But there's, a, there's at least a loophole uh, or a chance that you can just have a, a bit of counsel and move along. So that's point number one. Point number two is the secret child abuse database. I've done multiple videos on this, but perhaps the one most worth watching is one of our most recent Watchtower in Focus episodes, episode 25, JW versus Watchtower, in which the team and I discussed the fact that Watchtower, as we speak, or as I'm making this video, is appealing before the Supreme Court of the United States for the organization's right, right as a religion, to keep confidential records of child sex abuse. Think about what that, that means. They are fighting for the right, not just of them, but for all religions, because any decision that's made in their favour will affect, will have to be applied to all religions. They are throwing aside the organisation's proud uh, legacy of winning battles in the United States Supreme Court that will improve the lives of everyone. So I'm, I'm thinking of the battles on flag saluting and religious liberty and all that sort of thing that go back decades they're throwing that proud legacy away and saying, we think that religions should have the right to keep their own secret records about child sex abuse. And we feel we've been wronged in this area because in case after case, the lawyers of child sex abuse survivors are demanding that we turn over our records and we don't want to do that. So the very fact that they are appealing at the United States Supreme Court to keep confidential records on child sex abuse establishes, as far as I'm concerned, beyond any doubt, that Jehovah's Witnesses keep a secret child sex abuse database. But that's by no means the only line of evidence to establish the existence of this database we can also look at the Australian Royal Commission in 2015. When they were doing their research into Watchtower, they asked Watchtower's Australian branch, well, not just asked, demanded that Watchtower's Australian branch produce all their records on child sex abuse going back to 1950. And when they did that, they found that the organisation in Australia had been sitting on details of 1,006 perpetrators or accused perpetrators of child sex abuse who had accumulated between them an estimated 1,800 victims. And that's just for Australia. So you can imagine how many 
thousands or potentially tens of thousands of records are being kept on perpetrators globally by Watchtower. But we're still not done with proof that the database exists, because if you follow the work of journalist Trey Bundy, who's done a lot of reporting for Reveal on the issue of the cover-up of child sex abuse, you'll know that he has interviewed lawyer Erwin Zolkin, who is a major thorn in Watchtower's side right now. And it's been reported by Trey Bundy in Reveal that Erwin Zolkin has in his office actually part of the database in a filing cabinet, albeit in redacted form. Erwin Zolkin succeeded in forcing Watchtower to release this small portion of the database after taking testimony in the Lopez lawsuit from a Watchtower official named Richard Ash, who said in court that the database was kept at that time on Microsoft SharePoint. And he tried to argue that it would be too problematic due to the amount of records for them to produce the database, at which point Zolkin produced an expert who said that it wouldn't be that difficult at all. But in any case, we have physical evidence of the database sitting in a lawyer's office. We have a Watchtower official saying in court that it was kept on Microsoft SharePoint we have the Australian Royal Commission taking 1,006 uh, records on 1,006 perpetrators in from the Australian branch alone. We have Watchtower defending its right at the United States Supreme Court to keep this database. And we also have, if you're interested, a fax that was sent by Watchtower to BBC journalist Betsan Powys following the BBC Panorama special in 2002 titled Suffer the Little Children. In that documentary, it was revealed that this database existed and potentially had around 23,000 names of accused pedophiles on it. And in response to this revelation... Watchtower wrote to Betsam Powies, who presented the information, and said, actually, it's not that many names, it's less than that. <laughs> so they didn't deny that they were keeping the database, they just disputed the number of names that were on it. So you have there multiple lines of evidence that the Jehovah's Witness leadership keeps secret records on men and women who are accused of child molestation. They keep these records on their own file servers, on their own databases. They don't release this information to the authorities. They fight in the Supreme Court to be able to keep this information confidential. And every second that it's kept confidential, every second that it's kept beyond the reach of law enforcement is time that predators that are on that list can use to abuse more children. And for the most part, Jehovah's Witnesses in general are completely oblivious to all of this. Onwards to point number three, and it's the Mexico-Malawi scandal. When I first woke up from my Jehovah's Witness indoctrination, 
I did not have a clue about this, but it's one of the many gems that are revealed when you read the book Crisis of Conscience by former governing body member Ray Franz. He reveals this dreadful double standard that existed in the 60s and 70s where you had witnesses in one country who were forced to show their Christian neutrality by refusing to obtain a card in what was essentially a dictatorship. There was only one party and the ruling party demanded that all citizens have a card showing them to be a member of this ruling party. And Watchtower insisted that witnesses in Malawi refused to do that even though this decision led to witnesses being persecuted in the most grotesque and brutal way. I won't go into all of it now because I go into more detail in my video on the subject, which you are welcome to check out. In fact, I'd prefer that you check out that video rather than, I, rather than me going into all the details. But at the same time, as witnesses in Malawi were being asked to take a firm stand for Christian neutrality, declaring themselves to be no part of Satan's political system of things, a situation was allowed to exist in Mexico whereby Jehovah's Witnesses were allowed to bribe officials into giving them a Cartier card which declared young men in Mexico to be eligible for the reserves, for the military reserves. So witnesses in one country were being allowed to again bribe officials into giving them this document which again very much identified them as part of Satan's system, as having gone through uh, training so that they were eligible to fight for the country if needs be. And at the same time, Witnesses in Malawi were suffering and even dying due to taking a completely different stand on the same issue of Christian neutrality. So if you're a Jehovah's Witness watching this and you don't know about the Mexico-Malawi scandal, please check out my video where I go into it in more detail. For point number four, I want to talk a little bit about the infamous blood teaching, the requirement for Jehovah's Witnesses to die rather than accept a blood transfusion, because I don't think most Jehovah's Witnesses are aware that this requirement is neither theologically or biologically sound. So what do I mean by that? Well, it's not theologically sound because, number one, this is a dietary restriction. The Bible writers had nothing to say about a medical, a life-saving medical procedure that wouldn't be invented until many centuries in the future. But even if physicians in the first century Middle East were transfusing blood to save people's lives, there's a very good chance that Jesus would have been in favour of it because whenever he was arguing with the Pharisees, as he frequently was on Sabbath violations, most notably the fact that Jesus would heal people on the Sabbath. So he would do work to improve people's quality of life on a day of the week 
when Jewish tradition required, indeed demanded, that he do no work, and the Jewish religious leaders took issue with this, and whenever they did so, Jesus would appeal to the rabbinic principle of pikwach nefesh. I've almost certainly butchered the pronunciation. <laughs> Can never quite remember it. But this Jewish principle insists that the preservation of life comes first, comes above observing the minutiae of Jewish law. So for Watchtower to come along as they did in 1945 and start saying that it's better for Jehovah's Witnesses to die than for there to be any transgression of the use of blood as mandated in the scriptures is to completely overlook the fact that Jesus himself insisted that life comes first if there was any conflict between the saving or preservation or healing of human life and the observance of the Mosaic law code. So that's why the blood ban is theologically unsound. It's also biologically unsound because the simple fact is that humans transfer blood cells between them normally and naturally if you know anything about pregnancy and you know anything about childbirth and how babies are raised you know that in breast milk there are there's an abundance of white blood cells and white blood cells are one of the main blood components that Jehovah's Witnesses are prohibited from receiving medically. So they're prohibited from receiving white blood cells in a life-saving hospital environment, but they're allowed to receive their mother's white blood cells in the form of breast milk when they're babies. Does it really make sense that God would have this huge disparity? There are even instances where red blood cells end up being transferred from the baby to the mother at childbirth, which causes the issue of RH sensitization, which again, if you're a Jehovah's Witness, you might want to look into. So it simply cannot be said biologically that there is never any exchange of any of the main components of blood in a normal human life. And you have to ask the question, if you're a Jehovah's Witness, why would God be so against the use of blood medically when biologically uh, blood cells or some of the main components of blood do get exchanged and it's all perfectly natural? Point number five, and how could we not mention the nearly 10-year affiliation between the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society and the United Nations. So this story came to light uh, in the Guardian newspaper in 2001 when it was revealed that even though theologically Jehovah's Witnesses are vehemently opposed to the United Nations, if you're a Jehovah's Witness you know that um, the wild beast from the book of Revelation is said to be a manifestation of the United Nations. The United Nations is supposed to be an abomination that is 
um, an attempt at doing something that only God's kingdom can do, which is bring peace and prosperity to all the nations of the earth. So if you're a Jehovah's Witness, you don't need me to explain <laughs> how the United Nations are looked on theologically by Jehovah's Witnesses and their leaders. But wouldn't you know, when it suits Watchtower, they are willing to put those issues and put those denunciations to one side and jump into bed effectively with the UN by becoming a non-governmental organization or NGO for the Department of Information between the years of, let me see, I think it was 1992 and 2001. And it was because of the exposure in the Guardian newspaper that the affiliation, the, the nine-year affiliation came to an end abruptly. And the reason why Jehovah's Witnesses don't know anything about this is because there is no mention whatsoever made of this significant story in any of the publications. You won't find anything about it on JW.org. There's a total information blackout. Well, I say total, there was a letter that was sent to some of the branch offices, or I think all of the branch offices at the time, giving some cookie-cutter excuses as to why this huge act of hypocrisy had been allowed over so many years. They made some excuses about uh, needing a library card, which I deal with in my video on the subject, which you are welcome to check out. If you are a Jehovah's Witness and you've never heard of this before, as you almost certainly haven't. But yes, this is a huge thing that most Jehovah's Witnesses are entirely oblivious to. Now, point number six involves shunning. And though most Jehovah's Witnesses are perfectly fine with shunning disfellowshipped ones, they see it as a means by which the organization stays spiritually clean. They see it as a protection. They also see it as a loving provision against the one who's being shunned, they tend not to think about the psychological damage that ostracism can do and the fact that nowhere in the scriptures does it require that shunning even be extended into the family arrangement. In other words, it's one thing to say, oh, such and such a body is no longer a member of our congregation and we're not to have association with him. It's another thing entirely to insist that this goes even into the family so that fathers and mothers don't get to speak to sons and daughters and vice versa. But I didn't want to talk to you about that necessarily. I wanted to talk to you about the fact that most witnesses don't understand that what they perceive to be a command from Jehovah only dates back to as recently effectively as 1981. And this is again something that comes to light when reading Crisis of Conscience by Raymond Franz. You learn that there was a state of affairs before 1981. So between 1955, when the disfellowshipping arrangement began, in fact, if you go back to 1947, there's even an awake denouncing excommunication as pagan 
1955, that changed and they, de- and they decided, hey, we're going to have a bit of excommunication in our, in our religion. But between 1955 and 1981, it was still possible to leave on conscientious grounds by disassociating and still have some contact with believing witnesses who were friends and family. This status quo existed all the way up to the publication of the September 15th, 1981 Watchtower, which changed everything and said, actually, you know what? If someone disassociates, this is effectively a sin and you should treat them just the same as if they've been disfellowshipped for sin or wrongdoing. So from 1981 onwards, it became impossible to leave the religion for conscientious reasons. So when Jehovah's Witnesses talk about shunning being a command from Jehovah, what they probably don't accept or haven't really thought of is the fact that effectively this command from Jehovah only dates back to as recently as 1981 because that's when the rules became as they are today where there was no way out of the organization if you simply stop believing. For point number seven, I want to talk briefly about the many failed predictions for Armageddon. Now, this is something you're sort of familiar with as a Jehovah's Witness, but it's only when you get out and you sit down and you do the research and you find out what's been printed in the publications going all the way back to the time of Russell and Rutherford. I don't know whether you can see in my collection, but I have there a copy of Millions Now Living Will Never Die, which predicted 1925 as the date for Armageddon. Going further back than that to Charles Taze Russell, you had the prediction that 1914 would be the absolute limit for Armageddon. Witnesses today don't know any of that. They might know about 1925 because you can find references to 1925 in the literature, but they assume that 1914 has always been taught as the end of the Gentile times and the beginning of the last days. What they don't know is that Charles Taze Russell believed that the last days had begun in 1799, and again, he wrote quite clearly that 1914 was the date, the absolute limit when he expected uh, Armageddon to come. So 1914 was a false prediction for Armageddon. 1925 was a false prediction for Armageddon. You then had 1975, which I would imagine a lot of witnesses do know about, but many will have bought into the false narrative that Watchtower now um, promotes that this was just the fault of a few individuals who who took things too seriously, who took too seriously what was written in Watchtower's own publications pointing to 1975. And there are a number of other dates which I actually go into uh, in this video, which you're more than welcome to check out. It starts to become very, very clear, if it wasn't clear already, that this is a very, very flawed, man-made organization 
that is guilty, has been guilty over many decades of building up people's expectations that Armageddon is just around the corner only for those expectations to be dashed. Now for point number eight, I have to tread carefully because if I haven't already upset YouTube's algorithms and made my video liable for demonetization, I almost certainly will if I go into detail as to what was written in Rutherford's Declaration of Facts, which is actually printed in the 1934 yearbook. I love the fact that Watchtower was so deluded and so arrogant um, and so self-righteous that they thought it was a good idea to print the Declaration of Facts in the 1934 yearbook so that generations into the future, witnesses couldn't deny that the Declaration of Facts is a thing and that it had actually been written and promoted by the organisation. So what can I say about the Declaration of Facts without getting my video demonetized? Okay, so let's put it this way. Most Jehovah's Witnesses are aware that during the Second World War, their organisation was firmly against the government of Germany and its leader. And there was even a campaign, uh, a telegram campaign, launched by Joseph Rutherford to denounce the leader of Germany. But what nearly all Jehovah's Witnesses, or probably at least the vast majority of Jehovah's Witnesses, don't know is that this campaign was only launched by Rutherford because his efforts to, how, how shall we say it, ingratiate the organisation to the government of Germany and its leader were rebuffed. They failed completely. And again, if you're a Jehovah's Witness watching this, you're going to be saying, that's completely impossible. Don't be ridiculous. Well, again... Just look up the 1934 uh, yearbook and find the Declaration of Facts. It's all in there. The Declaration of Facts was read out at a convention in 1933. And it was an attempt at convincing the government of Germany that the Bible students presented no threat, that in fact their principles and their ideas were in harmony with those of the government of Germany and to demonstrate that they shared so much common ground with the government of Germany and its leader, they said a number of things in the Declaration of Facts that I will read to you while probably substituting certain words so that, again, my video isn't demonetized. So they said, for example... Instead of being against the principles advocated by the government of Germany, we stand squarely for such principles and point out that Jehovah God, through Christ Jesus, will bring about the full realisation of these principles and will give to people peace and prosperity and the greatest desire of every honest heart. Bearing in mind, we're talking about the principles of the government of Germany in the 1930s, okay, 
A careful examination of our books and literature will disclose the fact that the very high ideals held and promulgated by the present national government are set forth in and endorsed and strongly emphasised in our publications and show that Jehovah God will see to it that these high ideals in due time will be attained by all persons who love righteousness. So, glowing endorsement of the high ideals of the government of Germany in the 1930s. I think I'm doing well with my words here and not getting this video demonetized, hopefully. Um, Okay, so it also says in the Declaration of Facts, the greatest and most oppressive empire on earth is the Anglo-American Empire. By that is meant the British Empire of which the United States of America forms a part. Very direct, uh, explosive, you could say, language that's clearly intended to, again, ingratiate the organisation to the government of Germany in the 1930s. And one more quote for you, which with which I need to be very careful. It has been the commercial people of Middle Eastern origin of the British American Empire that have built up and carried on big business as a means of exploiting and oppressing the peoples of many nations. This fact particularly applies to the cities of London and New York, the stronghold of big business. This fact is so manifest in America that there is a proverb concerning the city of New York which says the <clears throat> own it, the Irish Catholics rule it, and the Americans pay the bills. So this is the sort of language that appears in the Declaration of Facts, but because Watchtower knows, they know how bad this is, they only refer to the Declaration of Facts as being historically significant without actually quoting from it, or at least they certainly don't quote from these parts that I've read to you. And that's why most Jehovah's Witnesses are completely ignorant to the fact that at this key point in history, Watchtower made efforts to ingratiate itself to arguably one of the most evil regimes that history has ever seen. Now for point number nine, I want to take you back to the Shepherd book because there's an interesting provision for the appointment of elders. So I'm in chapter eight, which deals with the appointment and deletion of elders and ministerial servants. And under point nine, it's dealing with candidate elders or ministerial servants who are separated or unscripturally divorced. Unscripturally divorced means that they are divorced by the authorities. They have a certificate of divorce, but they're not acknowledged as being free to marry by the congregation due to there not being adultery or a confession to adultery by one or both parties. So uh, th there's a bit more to it than that, but that's roughly what unscripturally divorced means.
So we're talking here about candidate elders or ministerial servants who, again, are are separated, really, or they have moved on to another relationship without there being necessarily any grounds for divorce involving adultery with the previous spouse. And it says, who is primarily to blame for the marital problems? What were the circumstances surrounding the separation or divorce? Who was responsible for the separation or who pursued the divorce? Did both sign the decree or in some other way indicate their agreement? How long ago did the separation or divorce occur? What is the brother doing to try to reconcile? Is his mate unwilling to cooperate with his efforts? If so, why? How is his situation viewed by the congregations involved? How do the elders of the mate's congregation feel about the brother? When separation and divorce are involved, there may be deficiencies on the part of one or both mates that make it necessary to limit special privileges because one or both mates may not be viewed as exemplary. So what it's saying here is that when a man who is a Jehovah's Witness gets separated from his wife, there are some questions that need to be asked before he can be considered as becoming an elder or a ministerial servant. And you saw what some of those questions were. And you're probably thinking, why on earth is Lloyd banging on about this? (laughs) What does that have to do with things that Jehovah's Witnesses or most Jehovah's Witnesses don't know about? Well, I would argue that most Jehovah's Witnesses don't know that the founding presidents, you could say, of their organization, I'm referring to Charles Taze Russell and Joseph Rutherford, most witnesses are unaware that neither of those men would fare very well if their private lives were subjected to that kind of scrutiny. In the case of Joseph Rutherford, he had a wife and a son, and yet he certainly well into his presidency, he had nothing to do with them and they lived separate to him. So Joseph Rutherford, uh, from, 20, from 1929 onwards, lived at Beth Sarim, which is another thing, by the way, that most witnesses are unfamiliar with, the whole story surrounding Beth Sarim. But anyway, Joseph Rutherford lived at Beth Sarim in San Diego from 1929 onwards. And in another part of California, I think in another part of San Diego, um, his estranged wife lived separately from him. And things were actually so bad with his wife and his son that neither of them attended his funeral in 1942. So you have to ask the question, would Charles Taze Russell or Joseph Rutherford have even made the grade of elder if we were examining their life according to current rules on morality and current rules on how elders are selected. And that's before we even get into the the ins and outs of the jellyfish incident with Charles Taze Russell 
again, do the research on that. Or in the case of Joseph Rutherford, the rumours of infidelity with a Mrs. Berta Peel, who left her husband to be Rutherford's assistant, who travelled with him everywhere, who was supposed to be his nurse and dietitian, even though she had no formal training as a nurse or dietitian. That's, again, another thing that witnesses are completely unfamiliar with. But regardless of whether you buy into the rumours or whether you buy into the jellyfish story that came out during the divorce proceedings between Charles Taze Russell and Maria Russell, you have to ask, is it right that these men are, look, are looked up to and admired by witnesses in the 21st century, even though by current standards, both would arguably have failed to even be elders according to the current rules and regulations surrounding the appointment of elders and servants. This is again an area or, or a subject regarding which most Jehovah's Witnesses are completely in the dark. Now if I haven't already triggered YouTube's extremely sensitive bots and algorithms to demonetize this video, I almost certainly will do with this final point with point number 10, which has to do with the way that racism has been prevalent in certainly the early history of Watchtower. This is again something that you're oblivious to as a Jehovah's Witness. And it must just be said that no one's suggesting that there is racism today. I'm, I'm sure, I don't look, I'm sure in some parts of the world there may be issues there certainly may be issues with individuals, certain cultures may find it difficult. I know there were issues, for example, during apartheid in South Africa with um, equality not necessarily being observed to the extent that it should be. But I'm talking about actual things that were written in the publications that were either outright racist or served to otherwise perpetuate the myths and misconceptions surrounding race that were prevalent in the decades when Watchtower was, you could say, in its infancy. Now, rather than going through an exhaustive list of examples, I would just point you to an article that I wrote on this subject. The article is titled The Racist History of Watchtower Literature, and I cite a number of articles um, and references from past publications, mostly from the magazines. In terms of Charles Taze Russell, I don't think his racism was quite as bad as the racism and anti-Semitism of Joseph Rutherford, but he did still have some very backwards views. He wrote numerous times, for example, about how one day the Ethiopian's skin would be changed to white. This was some crazy idea that he had and that he repeatedly referred to in the publications. I've already mentioned recently about the fact that when the photodrama of creation was being shown in 1914, at one theatre in New York City, the organisation found itself responding to an outcry 
because they segregated the audience. They sent black audience members to the gallery and made them sit separately to white audience members. That's again in the early history of God's one and only true organization. But things get even uglier, I would argue, during the presidency of Joseph Rutherford. And I'm, I'm not going to read the quote because it's so obnoxious and grotesque. But suffice to say, these words that I'm showing you now appeared in the Golden Age, which was the forerunner to the Awake magazine, in the July 24th, 1929 issue. And they are not words that should be printed anywhere least of all in one of the magazines of an organization that purports to be representing God. And bear in mind, this is from the 1929 Golden Age. So this is 10 years after God has supposedly selected Watchtower or the leaders of Watchtower to be his faithful slave in 1919. And only 10 years later, this is the sort of material that they're printing in their publications. And again, this is something that you are entirely oblivious to when you are a Jehovah's Witness. You just don't have any clue that if you go far back enough in the publications, there is ample evidence that rather than being God's one and only true channel, uh, God's organization, Jehovah's organization, sorry, rather than having anything to do with God, this is just a man-made organization that has just got it wrong time and time and time again. So those are the 10 things that Jehovah's Witnesses don't know about their own religion. I hope you have found this video educational, especially if you happen to be a Jehovah's Witness. Let me know what you think in the comments below. But I guess that's about it. I hope you found this interesting. Don't forget to subscribe to the Charles T. Russell the Watchtower's founder and first president, is a thorn in the governing body's flesh. He penned some of the most wacky statements that can be found throughout Christianity, bringing so much embarrassment to Jehovah's Witnesses that they cannot bring themselves to admitting the truth that Russell was their founder. There is a reason I'm going to play this statement again. Stay tuned. Who was the founder of Jehovah's Witnesses? The modern-day organization of Jehovah's Witnesses began at the end of the 19th century. At that time, a small group of Bible students who lived near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, in the United States, began a systematic analysis of the Bible. They compared the doctrines taught by the churches with what the Bible really teaches. They began publishing what they learned in books, newspapers, and the journal that is now called The Watchtower, announcing Jehovah's Kingdom. Among that group of sincere Bible students was a man named Charles Taze Russell. While Russell took the lead in the Bible education work at that time and was the first editor of the Watchtower, he was not the founder of a new religion. 
That statement is simply not true, but there is something really sinister and cunning about it. Who ever heard of a founder of Jehovah's Witnesses? Jehovah's Witnesses are the people. That gives them some deniability. That they were not called Jehovah's Witnesses when Russell was president also gives them cunning deniability. The question should have been, who is the founder of the Watchtower Babylon Tract Society? There can only be one honest answer, Charles T. Russell. But as I said, it would have been devastating for the society for them to admit that the man with some of the most, if not the most, ridiculous teachings in Christianity is the founder of the organization. His worst statements haunt them, but so does what I personally consider his best statement ever. That statement is so profound, I decided not to type it for you to see, but to give you an actual photocopy of the statement in the February 1881 issue of the Watchtower, Herald of Christ's Presence. Within 24 hours of the production of this video, I will make a copy of the entire page available at my website on the resources page. The link will be added in the description. If we were following a man, undoubtedly, it would be different with us. Undoubtedly, one human idea would contradict another, and that which was light one or two or six years ago, would be regarded as darkness now, but with God there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, and so it is with truth. Any knowledge or light coming from God, must be like its author. A new view of truth can never contradict a former truth. New light never extinguishes older light, but adds to it. If you were lighting up a building containing seven gas jets, you would not extinguish one every time you lighted another, but would add one light to another, and they would be in harmony, and thus give increase of light. So it is with the light of truth. The true increase is by adding to, not by substituting one for another. The Watchtower would love to cover up this truthful statement from Russell, as much as they are interested in covering up the ridiculous ones. And cover up they have. And when I say cover up, I mean cover up. Russell's statement cannot be found anywhere in the Watchtower library software or at the Watchtower online library. Why not? Easy question to answer, because it would destroy all their arguments about new light. When they say, as the years pass, Jehovah continues to give us further clarification of truth. Russell says, But with God there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, and so it is with truth. Any knowledge or light coming from God must be like its author. When David's plain says, why did we change our view on that? Russell says, A new view of truth can never contradict a former truth. New light never extinguishes older light, but adds to it. When David Splain reads concerning the changes in their newest book, Included among these are the prophecies concerning Gog of Magog, chapters 38 and 39, the work of the man with the secretary's inkhorn, chapter 9, and the valley of dry bones, and the symbolic joining of the two sticks, chapter 37. All these clarifications likewise update what was written years ago in the No Jehovah book. Russell says to all Jehovah's Witnesses, 
Undoubtedly, one human idea would contradict another, and that which was light one or two or six years ago, would be regarded as darkness now, but with God there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, and so it is with truth. And if the watchtower did not cover up those words, if witnesses were aware of those profound truths, David's plane could never explain giving new light with this very sad statement. No wonder then that many of Jehovah's people have asked, when will we get a book that provides an updated explanation of Ezekiel's prophecies? Again, if witnesses understood the truth of Russell's statement, they could never, in their right mind, desire new light, given the character of the watchtower's new light. It always cancels a previous light. In the next video, I will discuss another devastating reason the light is going out on the watchtower's new light excuse. By the way, I could easily discuss that other point here, but I now have so many videos it will be easier for persons to search for videos on a particular point when too many points are not covered in one video. I myself find them easier to search and reference when done on one major point at a time. Just to recap, when Russell speaks bizarre things, they are devastating to the watchtower, so they do not make them readily available to witnesses. The same rings true when Russell said something true, every word of which will be endorsed by rational and honest people the world over. The watchtower must equally keep those words from the eyes and ears of witnesses. While still difficult, it is less difficult to wiggle their way out of Russell's false teachings by saying he was a sincere man who got some things wrong. Among that group of sincere Bible students was a man named Charles Taze Russell. But they dare not allow the light of day on what that sincere man got right. For if they ever did, their flipping and flopping world of new light comes crashing down. They cannot read Russell's statement on new light to witnesses when they are presenting them new light. For if they dare, Witnesses will be open to the new light that this is not Jehovah's organization. With God there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, and so it is with truth. Any knowledge or light coming from God must be like its author. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I want to thank you for clicking on this video at the moment. Um, today is the day that I'm going to go ahead and record my testimony as to why I left the witnesses, the Jehovah's Witness religion. Please give me a minute to gather myself to get comfortable. My phone has been playing tricks on me for the last hour and I can't seem to get it right, but I'm gonna go ahead and record it anyway. I'm gonna try and make this as short and simple as possible, but that's gonna be a challenge um, with 35 years plus of being a Jehovah's Witness. So please bear with me. If I rant, 
if I go astray, if I cuss, if I get upset, <laughs> all the above, right? I know you guys understand. But before I do that, I wanna um, I wanna say two things. I wanna first say thank you to those who have done this before me. You guys have so much courage and are so brave and have the balls to go outside of the structure and to research this religion down to its roots and to see what is the truth about the truth. And you have inspired me and you have um, encouraged me to, to gather my story to the best of my ability and present it um, as my testimony. And you guys are, are, are overcomers, are, are, you're, you're, you're cult survivors, you're heroes. You're heroes. You guys are um, something else, man. I, I can't even find the adjective for it. But I appreciate you and I thank you for all the research that you have done because through your research and through all of our uh, combined understanding, the religion has been exposed. They call it debunked. This religion has been, as, as well as many other religions, don't get me wrong, this is just not a Jehovah's Witness thing, but you speak on what you've been through, right? So this religion has been exposed, it's been debunked, ebunked, F-bunked, G-funked, and slam-dunked, as far as I'm concerned. So I'm not here to talk about all the doctrine that's that's wrong and all the beliefs and all the prophecies and all the child abuse and all the shunning and disfellowshipping and blood fractions and money where the money where's where the money went and goes whether it's a company or all these things are totally understandable and it's hard to fathom when you really do the research and 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 it and I know that not everybody agrees as to where to go afterwards and what to believe and if there's Jehovah God, the Bible and its and its um, transparency, the Bible and its authenticity, and that's okay. We are, it's all a process, and we all got our paths that um, we have to walk on in order to find what we're looking for, you know? So I, I, I believe that it's all understandable and it's okay to disagree on things. But I just appreciate everyone who's done this before me. That's all I was trying to say. Second, I am not bashing Jehovah's Witnesses as people. I love my people. Like, I adore my people. I love my father, my mother, my sisters, my heart, my brother, my brothers, my friends who are Jehovah's Witnesses, who are still in and may think of me as crazy and whatnot, and that's, that's Gucci. But I love all of you, and I'm not attacking you as a person. I'm just challenging your faith and challenging your beliefs and challenging you to 
to know where you come from. What does Hosea say? My people perish for a lack of knowledge. And my testimony is just the truth. It's just the truth about the truth. So anyways, I know I'm, I know that's a long introduction. I'm sorry. So once again, bear with me on these things. I'm trying to gather my thoughts. So let me just go ahead and jump in. I'm a born in. I was born in 1980, San Francisco, California, sub to the bay. Um, my mother and father were baptized in 72, I believe. I think, yeah, 72. My sister was born in 72. I have a brother born in 75. I'm the youngest of my mother and father. And my mother was a pioneer for 14, 15 odd years or so. And I can remember, you know, from day one, maybe about four or five years old, I remember just being at the Kingdom Hall, seeing how it works, seeing my friends at the hall. I remember my mom was pioneer, so that in turn made me a pioneer, <laughs> pretty much. At that time, I was four or five. So I would go out with her in service, and she would bribe me with McDonald's and Hot Wheels, and she would, you know, I would press the doorbell, and I would, you know, in time, I would have my own little presentation, right? 50 cent for the two or whatever the presentation was, or the cost was at that time. And at that time, I'm going to keep it real. It was beautiful in the sense that it was a community. Like, we all hung out. Some of my friends to this very day I met through um, the organization. And amazing people. Let me, let, me, let me make that clear. Amazing people. Um, but that's my first memories was service with my mom and I remember book studies and then you know Sunday meetings and all this stuff so fast forward like that's just there's so many things that happened in that period of time right but that's the first memories that I have of being a Jehovah's Witness fast forward I'm 10 11 12 we moved to a new congregation and I can remember coming into my own, like wanting to dress a certain way, asking certain questions that had no answers. <laughs> um, I remember my, my, I had like sideburns, like my facial hair was coming in. So I, I wanted to have sideburns and I wanted to have a goat, you know, I had a little facial and I got pushback from that, right? Like from the elders at that time. Oh, you, you can't, you can't have, you know, what about your sideburns, brother? You know, you got to shave before you get to the hall. <laughs> at 12, at 12, right? Around that age. So I remember that being the first, like, point where I was like, okay. I don't see where it says that in the Bible, but okay, I'm, I'm going to go. This is the truth. I want to put that as a, as the forefront of why a person believes these things as a 12-year-old because 
your mom and dad have told you and the, and the people on the stage have told you that this is the truth. This is the organization of Jehovah God. The only organization. So I deal with that. But I'm still thinking, you know, this is the truth. This is this is where God is. I'm going to just keep fast forwarding because there's so many things that have happened along the timeline of being a Jehovah's Witness that you can't get them all. This video will be three hours long. Let's move on to like 15, 16. There were some things that happened in my family that became very public knowledge. There was a divorce and it was very public and scandalous. And you know Jehovah's Witnesses love gossip. Boy. They love that juicy. And they, you know, it was everywhere. And, and, and my family member got his fellowship. They moved away. And my parents at the time were not spiritually doing well. And that was a time when I said, you know what? I'm going to make the truth my own. Around 15, I'm going to really start being at the meetings. I'm going to reach out. I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to do the whole thing. And so by 17, I was baptized. Baptized 17. And I really thought like I was on my way. Like this is where it's at. And at the time I was dating a sister and we were in love and we were planning on getting married because that's all you do as a witness, as a young man, you don't just date, you know, <laughs> you don't date just to date and to get, you know, it's always, hey, be, be careful. You know, this is, this is for marriage. So as time went on, years went on, we're, we're, we're progressing, we're, we're doing our, our thing and we get engaged. We get engaged to get married at 19 and 20. Now, I'm 39 now. Looking back, 20 years, I was already engaged to get married. And I'm not, I'm engaged now, but I'm not even married at the moment. So just that just cracks me up to the side point. Make a short story long. It didn't work out. But before that, we were young. You know, we're, we're trying to figure things out. We're, we're, we're passionate. We're in love. We're, you know, you want to do what people in love do. So you, you, you have um, intercourse. You have relations. You have sex. You, and not just having sex, but let me, let me throw back the suppression of a Jehovah's Witness who was born in and raised in and how, how you view sex the union of two people is so askewed and so suppressed and so thought of as wrong that you have a suppression of sexuality that is unmeasured. And I don't know about any other religions and, and you know, whatever, but Jehovah's Witnesses are the most horniest people in the world, especially those kids who are born poor. <laughs> just real. Anyways, we have sex. 
we talked to the brothers. We we got reproved, but we 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 didn't even have sex. I don't even think. I think we were just messing around and pornea or whatever they want to call it. And I end up getting disfellowshipped. We both did. I think I got disfellowshipped before her. Disfellowshipped at twenty, right? Twenty years old. I'm DF'd. Oh my God, it's the end of the world, right? In my mind, I'm trying to go back to my mind as I recant these, this, this, my life. Sorry, my car is on. I got my AC on. Going back, I'm 20 years old. I'm disfellowshipped. I can't talk to my peoples no more. Um, I feel like God doesn't approve of me right now. Like me doing exactly what my body and my, my soul is telling me to do makes me unworthy of Jehovah's love. I do my thing. I, I, I get reinstated in like six, seven months. I'm a good little Christian boy. I'm at the hall. I'm doing the whole everything. But mind you, for six or seven months, like you're not talking to pretty much anybody. Like my family was, st- I still live with my family. So they would talk to me and they would have parties and people would be over there and it'd be like, hey, and, and can't quite talk. At 20, like, so boom, I get reinstated. I'm, I think I'm 21 by the time I get reinstated. But I'm still a knucklehead. I'm still trying to learn. I'm still trying to be obedient. I'm still trying to stay away from things. Really, that's all this fellowship does is makes you stay away from things that you already have a problem with because you're whatever. I get reinstated about 21, but me and the young lady, we're, we're still talking. So that in turn means we're still communicating. We're still getting together and you know, when that happens, one thing leads to another. We're still in sin, right? So about a year goes by and a few things happened and I get, I'm on the verge of getting this fellowship again. So I'm about 22 and I'm talking to the brothers. Like I'm going to the brothers. Like, mind you, I'm going to the elders telling them because I'm feeling guilty and I want to be in good standing with God. I want to do this. I want to be a Christian. I want to be a Jehovah's witness. I want to be a witness of Jehovah. I want to serve God. So I'm being transparent with the brothers and they're just giving me the same old stuff. Going to the brothers again saying, I, I messed up again. I'm sorry. I feel like shit. I'm trying my best to make the right decisions, but I'm falling short, right? I get this fellowship again. I was 22. Like, DF'd twice at that time? You were like, whoa, bro. 
you got problems, son. Like, you, <laughs> at least that's how it felt. I don't really know how people thought, but that's how it makes you feel spiritually. And I remember, where am I at on time? 17 minutes. I remember my brother, my boy, my good, my one of my ace, one of my A1s was getting married that year. And I couldn't, I found out I was going to be disfellowshipped about a week or two before his wedding. And I couldn't be in his wedding. I was going to be in his wedding. I don't know if I was best man. I don't remember, but I couldn't be in his wedding because I was in bad standing. Like I was about to DF. I was so ashamed and had so much guilt in my heart that I wasn't even going to go to his wedding. I was going to say, you know, a good friend of mine, Eric, at the time made me. He called me and convinced me to go to the wedding. I missed the wedding. I came to the reception but I was so ashamed. I was so guilty. I was so convicted. I felt so unworthy. I felt dirty. I felt all at 22 because not because I'm actually that, but because I told on myself, which most dudes at that time, well, weren't doing. And that's a side note. <laughs> so, I get this fellowship again at 22. And that's when a lot a lot of other things happened. I think my parents had broke up. Um, there was craziness going on in my household. My dad was going through some, some difficult times. My mother had left and moved to out of, out of state. She moved out of the country. So there was a lot of hectic things going on at that time. And I remember being harassed by the demons at that time in my house, me and my dad. I remember a lot of what I might consider now spiritual warfare. But I remember going through some tough, tough times, being disfellowshipped in a, in a crazy, crazy household. Like my house was nuts. From about Wednesday to Sunday, it was craziness going on. Like it was parties after parties, and it was. Mind you, I'm do, I'm I'm living this, and I'm trying to get reinstated. But there's pimps in my house. There's people living there. There there there's strippers who come over regularly. Like this is real. This is life. But I'm trying to be a Jehovah's Witness, dealing with my lust. Um. But. Fast forward, I get reinstated. I think it was about two years almost. About two years. I get reinstated somehow. And I wasn't a, a saint during this time, by no means. Like, the first time I was doing my thing. The second time I was having mess ups and whatnot. But I told the brothers that, you know, for about six months I've been clean of all the stuff. And I get reinstated. So I'm like 23, 24, give or take. And that was the first time I started to see a few cracks in the armor. I said, all right, so I think 
they let me get reinstated, even though I haven't been, you know, this and that and that and this. They just wanted to know if I've been good for about six months. Hmm. So I get reinstated. And I'm back in it. You know, I'm, I'm talking to my people again. I'm, I'm back in the meetings. I'm doing all the stuff. I, I never left the meetings, but I'm now I'm in good standing, quote unquote. I haven't got my privileges, but I'm having these doubts. Like I'm thinking about things a little bit more, but I'm suppressing them. You know, like as witnesses, when we have doubts, we just say, oh, you know, it's OK to doubt. You know, but Jehovah's going to fix things. So. I keep going, man, because I believe that this is the truth. This is the truth. So going forward, I'm 24 ish and I meet a sister at the time. And I'm going to keep it real. I, you know, I, I, I felt goo goo gaga for this for this young lady um and i thought you know this is it this is the one i'm gonna you know marry type thing and we you know we fell in love like we we, we you know this is a long distance relationship so that was hard in itself and once again to make a short story long you know it didn't work it was two year and a half, two years of trying to make it work, and it ended very badly. Like a lot of things happened, transpired that left me pretty broken at the time. Like I was pretty broken. I um, was extremely depressed, and the depression actually started when I was 22. If I can retract a little bit, depression oppression, demonic attacks, anxiety attacks, spiritual self-esteem, which is nothing because I've already been this fellowship twice by this time. So I am just, my self-worth is at, you know, is already low. And then I break up with this sister. I think I tore my Achilles. I broke up with her. And we had messed up. And get this, I get this fellowship for the third time, Jack. Like third time DF'd by 25, I think I was. Like this story, like me saying this thing out loud, I've never really said it. It's so many, man. So I'm just fellowshipped again, 25. The girl I was dating is now, I don't even want to get into all that. It was a horrible time. I'm, I'm crushed, right? Like I'm broken. DF'd again. And the, I'm just fellowshipped three times, 25. This is all I, this is how I see myself. And this is, um, 
the depth of that despair, I, I can't even put into words, but I, I'm living off like broccoli and Vicodin and liquor, like just out of it. But I believe that this is the truth. I'm living with my mom at the time. She's at the meetings again. Mind you, my mom had got this fellowship. My dad had got this fellowship. There's a whole lot of other things that happened during this time, but that's a whole other story. My mother gets back. I'm living with my mom. And I'm crushed, but I'm I'm back in the meetings. But it took me a long, it took me the longest time to get, you know, get reinstated because I've been DF'd three times now. So I'm, you know, they have to be extra careful with me, you know, for the cleanliness of the the congregation. So I think two and a half years ago, two and a half years, mind you, of no real association. There was a few of my boys who still hung with me on the under because I because of because they just good people and they didn't really believe you know all that shit but um but for the most part no association and I can't explain what that does to you as a as a young man as a person as a human but it's many it's done a lot of damage but with all that being said, I get reinstated again. So I'm a three-time disfellowshipee. But I get reinstated again around 2007-2008. By this time, and in that time period, I am doing what pretty much... I'm partying, I'm just drinking heavy, I'm with women, but I'm still feeling guilty for all those things because I'm a I'm a Jehovah's Witness at heart, right? That's when it's been when you've been born in and it's been drilled into your soul of what Jehovah expects to you, you cannot get away from that. Especially if you want to please God. There are a lot of people who are Jehovah's Witnesses that really don't care. They're just doing it because their parents told them or because it's what they have to do to stay in the house. But it's not in there. They don't want to love God. But I get reinstated again. And mind you, the things I had to do to get reinstated... The, the, the congregation I was going to with my mom would not reinstate me because at the time I had a mohawk and a goatee. I had a mohawk and a goatee. I'm over here not trying to kill myself, dealing with a spirit of suicide. And you are telling me about my hair? You have no idea what it took for me to even get to this Kingdom Hall. You talking about my hair, bro? Now, I understand it's like 600 plus. 600 plus. 600 plus. Religion title 
religion titled by man. 600 plus, 600 thought of title by man. Man designed this whole thing about religion. Man discovered and designed religion. Human beings, when it comes to leadership, when it comes to politics, when it comes to the religious elders, human beings that people do not understand first, people do not understand the whole concept of religion. People go to places to learn about God, right? People go to these foundations. People go to these establishment of structure where God's name is remembered. Now, Christian entity, modern Christian entity, that I can take you in the word, you say. I can take you in your Bible as a walkthrough and basically answer the question and give you a question so you can understand what I'm going to tell you. Because human beings do not properly hear well, some folks. So my question is to you, question mark, what is Christianity to you? Allow me to give you the answer to that. Now I can take you in your word, your word of God, of this book called the Bible. I can take you in the book of Genesis. That break Genesis Genesis down, what do you get? Gene, fur and round off as genetic. I can take you in the Torah. I can take you in the Mosaic law. I can take you in this thing called scripture called the New Testament. Okay, listen to my words. You go to church, you go to the kingdom hall, you go anywhere that this remainder of Christianity that still exists and linger, but people of religion and the religious faith of Christianity don't even realize Christianity religion is coming crashing down and failing and people of religion 
is converting more and more to a religion called Islam. Why? Because Islam is not a religion of basically of entertainment and singing and dancing. No. Islam is a religion to teach you the principle of the ways of life also and being in submission to God. Muslims do not announce this man named Jesus the Christ as king. Muslims do not announce but believe in the prophet named Jesus but his real name is Isa. Muslims believe Jesus walked. Muslims do not kneel down at the feet of the sole of the feet of Jesus and say he's the Lord of Lords, King of all kings, boss. Muslims go by the teaching of the prophet Muhammad and go by the teaching of Isa, Isa, his way, his fellowship. Muslims do not kneel to the feet of Jesus Christ, but kneel to the feet of their God called Allah Akbar, meaning God is the greatest. I can take every Christian, every Christian, I can take you in your Bible of the Word, the Word, that give you a question, who is God? Who is God? I will take you by giving you this question, who is God? What is God? So I give you that answer, you should take me to, uh, uh, I'm going to give you an answer, but I'm going to give you this question. You should give me the answer by showing me the book of the first chapter in the Bible, it's called Genesis. Okay? Who is God? What is God? Where does he come from? Who wrote the first five books of Bible. Who wrote this? You know? Okay? The Bible says in Genesis. And God, this is God. What A, one, what number one, what he did. And God made the heavens and there. And saw that was good. And God made the water and the seas and land and trees. That's all that was. And God separated the light and the darkness. Day and night. He separated. And that was good. And God made the creatures of the land. 
and the creatures of the water and the creatures of the air. That was good. And God decided to make a man out of the dust of the earth. Out of the dust of the earth and fashion man into a corpse. And then God decided to breathe into the man. Pause. Stop right there. Pastor, reverend, deacon, minister, whoever the hell you are in this damn church or this damn kingdom hall, what did I just say to you of, what, of a question and the answer? But the question is, who is God? What is God? All that in the book of Genesis that I explained to you from these lips that what I just said, what God created and what God produced. You're going to say, well, God is a spirit. Oh my goodness. You are an idiot. For real. You are an idiot. You are an idiot. What are you trying to say? I just told you. God is this that you said. Well, God can do anything. They never told you he is where he came from, did it? No, of course not. Of course not. Of course. Not. He's a spirit. Sir, he only told you what he produced and create, and never told you who he is. So on throughout the Bible, it always talks about you. You. But anyway, this discussion about this thing of Christianity, of the Jehovah's religion, the Jehovah Witness religion. Now, I was raised in this religion. I was raised in this religion like this brother was raised in this damn religion because number one born into this is basically saying you're born and you're raised into this BS until you decide to break the damn chains the cycle my grandmother my father's mother told me in my face on the bed and she said I did not raise your father in this BS 
of a religion. Even though, this is my grandma's word, even though I went to the Baptist church and discovered the damn truth about the church and then I left and I come back. And then I researched on my own and said, aha, this is man's idea to control the massive people of the earth. This is man's title of Christianity backstrail to black folks of their holocaust other than the Jews. But more of a holocaust of business purposes as a Negro slave. My grandma said, I did not teach your father. I don't know how the hell he got into this. I'll tell you how. They walk up and down to and fro. Giving you a, a little uh, piece of papers of nice pictures and saying you will inherit uh, everlasting life of this baloney. I was raised in this, that I know what the hell I am talking about. I was raised into, into this, born into this, disregard of not realizing what my parents or my family don't realize. To do what Paul said of the meaning do research of this damn religion that's classified as a cult. A cult. A cult. History lesson. When we were slaves, black folks was given Christianity, was not taught how to read. So if you're not taught how to read, you cannot understand, to learn, or comprehend. So this is what you get today. A bunch of fools in Christianity faith is the church today and the kingdom hall, Christian religion, is failing. Because it's bent on amusement, it's bent on singing and dancing, only a business to sell a product of baloney BS. I was raised in this religion as a child thinking like this brother was saying thinking this is the way to the light but false false so when I was 15 to 16 years old I discovered something not right and I said you know what when I did research about all this that Brother Malcolm said, which is make, it makes perfect sense, not because my Brother Malcolm is in some, some religion of Islam. No, he's basically saying, of basically common sense, he's saying anything you get into, anything you choose to convert to, you must do the research about it before you become it, so you can know what this is. My damn family did not do that at all. Born into this, do what I say, 
as I do, don't answer no questions. So this religion is BS. Charles T. Russell is BS. And black folks, they're just like the Hebrew boys, being led into the flaming furnace of the fire. And this time, your black self is getting burned up. So Christianity, this Jehovah Witness cult, is nothing but a cult to black folks to kill you off that Charles T. Russell was a racist of a man that made a bunch of BS, even about the blood transfusion, even though Jesus already argued the fact to the Pharisees about preserving your life. And these fools are my people is under this illusion right now and being destroyed and they don't even give a damn because black folks are not highly as a race to be educated. Nope. So, this religion, of my opinion, of my outlook, is a religion of a doctrine of the seedment of make-believe of false uh, predictions, of false prophecy, anything today to get you out of your pocket and you are being deceived. I told myself, just because I am a black Hebrew Israelite that have my own understanding of this, that black Hebrew Israelites is not a organization part of a religion. No, I'm still learning about the black Hebrew Israelite because as I say I'm a black Hebrew Israelite, I'm like I am an African American Hebrew Israelite. Put it that way. That I go by the Torah of the law of the Mosaic law, Musa's law. We are not no Christian organization group or a Muslim. That brother got out that religion for a reason. Because he realized, he realized, he realized, he realized the BS that goes on in this cult. A overseer is someone is to look over you, watch over you, not in position to be a spiritual leader. No, a overseer is someone to watch over you, not to be a spiritual leader of educate you about God. So Jehovah, like my mother, did not know other names of Jehovah because you don't read your Bible. You don't read your Bible. The Watchtower always give you a question all the time to curiosity your mind. Why do you want to be curiosity of your mind? This religion is false. This religion is baloney. This religion is bullshit. Sorry. So he got the wake up call of reporting of his behavior that your Bible says confess your sin to me God not to no flesh and blood man. They are BS. 
And that's why my family is all screwed up to this very day. Because my grand has been nasty. My grand thirsty wife. Did not educate his household about this. Because his family, his father says, do what I say. Do it, just do it. Don't even do the apostle Paul. What Paul said, Paul said, the apostle, Paul, prophet, whatever the hell, Paul said, question all things which is true. Do the research. Black folks don't do the research, just been given this, and this is what the hell you believe, but not even trying to further your education. Not even trying to further your education. Not even trying to further your belief of looking forward, looking further than what the hell you believe. So me, this brother, got out, did the exodus. Exodus means come out of this. Separate yourself from this. Christianity religion is failing. You can't tell, it's failing. People are walking away from the kingdom hall. People are walking away from the church. People are converting to Islam. Either the Sunni, either the nation, whatever the hell because this is only a business of a religion it's only a business of a religion it's only a business of a religion to amuse you that the pastor reverend whoever the hell got to be voted in to be the pastor of the church it's only a business that black folks do not understand and fail to see white folks fail to see this is a business this is a retail business that you do not see it's a business to make money that's it you are a fool Charles T Russell started this religion for a so-called purpose of foundation of money also contribute to a aid of helping to control you what the fuck is wrong with you get out of this world annihilation this world domination this wicked thing brought forth by man because religion is not uniting people. Religion is not uniting people. Religion is only dividing people and causing the world to go straight to hell. This is religion. Religion ain't doing nothing, yo. It's bullshit. I'm telling you. Christianity is only a religion of a showcase. That's it. I left that not even baptized. I told, I totally, I totally, I totally disagree to say you cannot get no blood transfusion, go to hell. Because that preserves people's life, that saves life. It's against the law if they do not clean the blood. Millions of, uh, let's see, millions of witnesses have died. But I do believe, I do agree, that you should not, like the book of Proverbs, you should not do what the world does. I do agree 
that you should not celebrate birthdays and holidays. Why? Because you're supporting a man's business of giving your money to buy gifts of stupid stupidity stuff to your whoever a money that you do not have. Bad association goes for anything. You associate you associate you show you associate you you social be you so socializing with the wrong crowd causes spoils useful habits. I am Jarrell Lucian, aka Drewise, Calculus FM, Anchor FM, Drewise, my name. Peace and farewell.